Microphone check, one, two, what is this? It's the five foot seven assassin in the podcast business. I am your host, Rohan Patra, the rap music plug at your service. Here we are again at the end of a rainbow. Get stuck, get stuck, get stuck, get stuck. In 2022, roughly 49,000 songs were uploaded to Spotify each and every day. Therefore, amidst a flurry of music releasing to listeners on a daily, being able to command the attention of a listener in this day and age is very tough. How people acquire this attention does vary. It can be garnered through big name mainstream cosigns and features, shade room-esque drama, or hopefully simply great music that cannot be found anywhere else. The latter category is where Kenny Siegel, today's guest, firmly falls under. Kenny's one-of-one style has enchanted listeners for over a decade, creating soundscapes for some of rap's most interesting voices in Rap Ferreira, Self Jupiter, Serengeti, and most recently, Billy Woods. The LA-based producer joined the show to provide insight into his eclectic production style, how he chooses to collaborate with other artists, key learnings he's gathered throughout his illustrious career, and the creation of his latest masterpiece with Billy Woods, Maps. The Rap Music Plug podcast presented by QLC TV is the remedy to the I don't have anything good to listen to problem. Through in-depth album and song reviews, as well as artist interviews and general rap commentary sprinkled in between on all of what the mainstream and underground rap scenes have to offer, This is your one-stop shop to knowing what to add to your queue, play next, or pop into your record player. Welcome to the show. Kenny Siegel, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good. Happy to hear, man. Happy to have you here. Preparing for this interview, I have to say that, like, you know, I perused through your production credits, and it just turned into an exercise of realizing, damn, you always tend to have, like, my favorite beat on some of like the better albums that I've heard that came out this decade. Like I didn't know until rechecking that you created uh, the beat for no selling on open Mike Eagles brick body, which is oh, yeah. fucking outstanding. That beat like, holy shit. And then slick Watts on the recent backwards tape, high bias to name a few, like another incredible beat. It's just a real honor to have you on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta keep it facade, I gotta play it cool Like when you with a girl and she can wake your school Gonna get the leather shirt, my stomach never hurts Strong face, strong jaw shown to my competitors I tell my AC Allen wouldn't even limp I keep my head up high so I can read the blimp Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's funny because Mike Eagle, like, I've had like a single song on a number of his seminal albums but yeah, like uh, it's always super random because because that no selling beat and the one I did a uh, super long time ago on was it Animal Hospital, the one that had Danny Brown on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Animal both Hospital. of those were beats. I think I gave them to him and it was like years afterwards that all of a sudden they became like a song on his album. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, oh, and also the beat for Idaho was like that, too. Uh, that was on uh, Dark Comedy, right? Dark Comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I really love how 
even just in those those songs you briefly mentioned there uh one of the core elements of your music that i really love is that it's just so one of one it's so diverse there's not like a particular formula at least from my perspective that you tend to follow like it really oh. can have a whole different set of features textures all that good stuff and it's just really impressive thanks uh i definitely I don't always go around sitting. I don't sit around saying like, oh, let's do something totally different every day. But like, I definitely like I, I just get bored so easily doing the same thing. So like, I'm constantly switching things up, I think both quickly, but also slowly evolving what I'm doing as well over time. So yeah, right, right. And like so i'm curious to start what is what was your like journey to get here in terms of the fact that you know like you seem to be clearly a fan of and consume and create music of that is outside of hip-hop too like it's a very eclectic taste you seem to have so what kind of music were you inspired by when you were younger and how did that how did the move to producing music yourself actually come to be uh like when i was real young I actually was exposed to hip hop pretty early. I had like a friend, I think probably like fifth or sixth grade who had an older cousin who gave me this tape, that, a cassette tape that had had like most of straight out of Compton on one side and it had a lot of, uh, it had Dougie Fresh, the entertainer on the mm. other side, but it's like a 90 minute cassette because it also had like some of like two live crews, uh, I forget which two I've crew out, but basically had an eclectic mix of all sorts of types of hip hop on it. So I was exposed to that pretty early on. But yeah, in, in high school, I was really into like industrial, like nine inch nails, oh, nice. uh, but also like more like weird stuff like uh, like KM FDM. And then I got into the rave scene kind of through the electronic industrial stuff and the, or actually really how I got into to electronic music was this is going to date me back in the day there was the cd things the bmg where you would like you could get like 12 cds for a penny each oh okay. and it was in like every magazine and comic book they had ads for this thing and it was kind of like a it wasn't a scam but the whole thing was then it was mail order this is all like pre-internet or like early internet days so you would order it from the magazine you get a bunch of these cds and they'd all be a penny but then you were signed up to get like a monthly CD that you didn't even choose that they would just send mm. you. And it would be like $20 a month or some crazy shit. And that, that was the whole scam part of it. But anyway, right. I signed up for that mainly because I was trying to get like, I think Nirvana, the Nirvana album or something. But like I bought an Aphex Twin album and, a, and a, the Orb album, which were, were both like pretty out there electronic music for that time. It's surprising they were even in the choice of CDs you could get, but those CDs like changed my life at that moment. I was like, holy shit, this shit is crazy sounding. It was Aphex Twins, I Care Because You Do, which nice. is kind of his like most like trip hop album, I would say. Right, right. Anyway, that shit fucked me up. I got into like rave, the rave scene, and I got into like techno music and started buying all sorts of techno kind of CD compilations. And that led me into drum and bass. Uh, so for like a long period, I was really into, yeah, like all like drum and bass and stuff like that. Though I also always liked jazz. And, and when I got to college, I had a, it wasn't like my roommate, but he lived like above me. 
who had like a real extensive collection of like, like at that point, like I was aware of James Brown and stuff like that, but I wasn't that aware. He had like all of the classic funk and jazz stuff like Herbie Hancock. He, that was when I first really delved into that world. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've liked a whole lot of, a lot of music over the years. I mean, I also played like cello for a bit when I was in high school orchestra, I wasn't very Ooh, good, nice. but like, that exposed me to like classical music and like the I and when you play in like an orchestra, you have like a different appreciation for classical music. Because when you're like one cog in the wheel playing like one part and you see how they all weave together, it kind of like gives you a little like insight into you know. I just remember when I was young, like I had no, I didn't like classical music necessarily, but then playing an orchestra like kind of gives you this new appreciation for it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, a whole lot of different influences i'd say and i've always really liked weird electro i've always really liked experimental stuff that's like kind of hard to listen to also like like weird ambient stuff or like noise kind of stuff and wh when did your transition actually making the music yourself producing start oh pretty early on i was interested in that when i was in, when i was in like middle school and high school orchestra doing cello one of the first experiments I had, so my parents had like a, like a PC computer. that was like back in the like 386 or 486 state before even a Pentium. It was like early computer. And it was like the internet was like the, again, this is all making me sound old. I'm not really that old, <laughs> but like, it was like early internet where it was like bulletin boards and you would like dial into websites. And I dialed into this website that I downloaded this music making software. It was called Fast Tracker. And it was like for MS DOS. And it lets you basically arrange samples like along a timeline. So it's kind of like oh. had the capabilities of an MPC. It was very like advanced for its time. But uh, a lot of like early, a lot of video games at the time used that format of like tracker. There was, it was Fast Tracker wasn't like the only software like that. But that was like what a lot of video game music was made at the time with. Uh, but, and the sampling like was very, it was like eight bit, wasn't very high quality. And also like the sample length had to be pretty short because computers didn't have a ton of memory. Uh, so I started experimenting with that. I downloaded that. I don't even remember why I downloaded it, but I was like playing around with that on my parents' computer. And then my cello, I had this like walkie talkie. I really wanted to record the cello into the computer. I didn't have like a microphone, but mm -hmm. we had this sound blaster sound card that had an input on it like a eighth of an inch, like a headphone type of cable input. And I disassembled the walkie talkie. My, my mom loves to tell this story. It's funny. And I took like one side of the walkie talkie where I like ripped the speaker out and where the, where the speaker used to be, I took from some other thing I had that had like a, like a, like a headphone output. And I just like, I think I like taped the wires together. I certainly didn't have solder at the time. I, I think I just like twisted the wires together from two different things to give it like a jack instead of a speaker. And then I taped the other walkie talkie to the cello and I like taped it. So it was always in the transmitting position. So I would basically transmit the cello from the walkie talkie to the other one that was then hooked into a cable that I could hook into the sound card. And I was recording my cello into Fast Tracker to try and make like a song. And that was yeah. probably like my very earliest experiments with like music. Now, you really sounded like you were quite handy 
and how to i sound more handy than i am because i gotta say like i've always had friends that were like like back then i had this friend kevin who was like my computer guru friend he was like really putting to get like taking apart computers and that type of stuff and he had he actually had like a soldering iron like his dad was a mechanic so he had all sorts of like a dremel tool like Mm. shit that you definitely shouldn't have when you're in like ninth grade (laughs) probably So he was always helping me with stuff. And then I, I've always had like a friend or a tech guy who is better at me, better than me at doing those types of things. But like, I was like the mastermind maybe of like the, the experiments, perhaps. Well, and it's kind of interesting you mentioned that because uh, when I spoke to Woods last month, he, he was kind of like, and when he was trying to speak on why he feels your beats are very much your own and unlike many other producers out there he pointed at a couple things uh one being just like your new unique kind of musical background and taste but also these kind of like collaborative relationships that you seem to have compiled over the years where you can just pull in musicians to come over to the crib and lay some instrumental uh, additional instrumentation down for example like uh i think aaron shaw does the the sax on facetime and then you've throughout your career had many instrumentals contribute to your to your instrumental albums. And it's something I can hear as the listener because the arrangements, the sense of kind of like dynamic momentum, it's interesting you said you were in an orchestra because I can kind of feel that that kind of, I don't know, sense of momentum and the sense of evolution in your beats that I feel is really special. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious, like, could you illustrate your typical production process like in terms of how you like to build out your beats does it start with like a sample or what's the what what, yeah how do you really start that so i typical is a hard thing to say because it's definitely shifted over the years and i'm always trying to like not fall into some like i always do it this way but a lot of times my beats definitely start with me arranging a few sounds that I think are interesting. And sometimes that might be melodic first. Sometimes it's drums first. That's highly variable over the years. And often whatever that initial sound, let's say it is drums mm-hmm. more often than not, if, if I'm like, let's do some, make some cool drums, then find something to go over top of it. By the time, whatever that is turns into whatever it's going to be, probably whatever those initial drums I made have nothing to do with the song anymore. Like, uh, cause I'm a big believer in like having the right things, just throwing things on top of each other. Doesn't really interest me that much. Like even if they sound good together, like I want the, the like I try and spend a lot of time, like getting the right sounds to be on top of each other. Uh, that makes sense. No, it does. Uh, but yes, a, a lot of times it starts off kind of like almost like a collage of a couple sounds that I think sound cool together. And then like, there's like a moment where I'll, I'll often create a lot of those. Like I'll have like 10 or 15 of those bubbling around or maybe even more. And then there'll be a day where like my homie Ryan Crosby comes by and I like, load up a couple things while he has his guitar up and he just like gives some hot takes on a couple things or maybe uh Carmack comes by and I do the same thing on a few things while he's playing roads like so I'll start building up some extra like things on top of them and then there's like a moment where I'll like go back through them and kind of like do another like what's my hot take on whether this is like these sounds sound good together i'll throw in a new sound into the mix or i'll delete all the old drums because they weren't 
don't sound good with that melodic sound uh, and do new drums. And like there'll be a couple like revision days often on top of it. But then at that point, maybe it's good enough that it's an idea that I send to a vocalist and they hear it. And that often sets off a whole new journey for the beat because depending on what they hear in the song and like what they do, I might be like, oh shit, I'm going to scrap everything except for just the melody or I'm going to scrap everything but these drums like and make it something something different. So yeah, it's it's often like a pretty long journey uh, from whatever the initial creation is to what you actually hear, even if it's like sounds simple, like a lot of things have happened <laughs> along the way. Moving past how you kind of start and build out the beat, like one thing I'm curious about specifically is from a producer's perspective, something that came up in a the last episode I did with Stick Figure and the Expert, um, Stick Figure, someone who's frequently collaborated with Conductor Williams, very very dope producer. He was speaking on the fact that when he works with Conductor, something that Conductor always kind of like exudes and embodies when he produces that is that he kind of knows a beats or a song is good based on the feel. Like he's a big feels guy. And I found that an interesting idea to discuss with you because whether you're kind of chopping a sample or playing back a, mu- a piece of music you created, what is what is it that you're most focused on? Is it the the texture you're looking for to see like, oh, is that texture feel right? Is it the emotional feel that kind of like what Conductor was saying? Like, what's that key thing you're looking for when determining if a beat kind of satisfies what you had in mind? You kind of just nailed the two biggest things that I think I listen to is both interesting textures like that's definitely like when i'm putting together a beat like that's one of the biggest things i'm listening to in sounds it's not just the sound itself and this is why like i don't really gravitate towards a lot of like like kind of like more generic sample library kind of stuff like i'm always listening for like a unique texture or the way textures interact maybe between different sounds as well like in unique ways but yeah what what you said about feel like that that's the other thing and i think that's what so many people are missing like when i there's so much music that i hear that i'm like oh technically that's great like you're killing it you know how to use the sequencer very well or you're really good at finger drumming or whatever but there's no forest like it's all trees and no forest kind of like Mm -hmm. And that's not something that's easy to put into words like what it is. Like I can't be like, oh, that's missing this. And then it would be be cool. Or it's not really like that. It's just sometimes things got it and sometimes things don't. I mean, it's kind of like uh, even with like there's plenty of people that are like maybe like a really good singer, but they're not great at being the front man or front woman for like a group. You know what I mean? Like like that's one of those things some people have that like kind of star power even and they might not even be a good singer but they're still a great front person because like yeah. they have that thing well i would say that like a lot of beats or songs like they either at the core of it have that thing or they don't and i don't always know exactly what it is or how to get that thing but i know it when i see it and i think that that's what often is makes a good producer in general like uh, and that's also why being a good producer for songs, I mean, it's it's important to have good technical skills, but you don't necessarily need to be technically great at all the different aspects of it to be a good producer, while being technically great at all the aspects of it does not necessarily make you a good producer either, I would say. Right. Uh, there's that, 
seeing that there's that thing about yeah like having an intuition about something that has that feel or that has that emotion that will affect people that isn't necessarily obvious to everyone but for some people it's very obvious yeah no that makes a lot of sense i think uh willie green when i spoke to him he said something really interesting when i was talking about like we were talking about this the idea of having a good ear something that you hear a lot thrown around like oh this this producer this engineer has a really good ear and i think what how he described it was it's it's about understanding the context of what you're trying to create and what like what the art form is really really is so for example his example was like you know like a very classical pop or orchestral music engineer would take a beat created by the rizza or something and just shave off oh, all totally the, ruin it yeah yes. and take off all the grit and that makes this it is why I don't, this is why i yeah. mix all of my own beats because even people that understand hip-hop like my beats are often really messy and have like overlapping elements and yeah if you do the normal i early on in my career when i didn't have the clout to always be like no i should mix it uh i experienced a few times where people did just that they like eq'd it to do all the things that are supposed to make a beat sound better but missing the fact that like it took away the essence of what made the beat good in the first place like you know what i mean like uh and yeah yeah having a good ear uh but also yeah understanding like the type of music you're trying to make or the type of art like like no, like yeah having a intuition of what will further that versus just what technically is sound yeah and i think something you do really well that i've always admired and it kind of goes to what you're saying about just now about like even when people mix your or try to in the past mix your beats and it came off the way you didn't like it's you have a particularly unique kind of i don't know you use a unique blend of sounds but the end product is not what those sounds usually end up being and what i mean by that is is particularly how you use live instrumentation because i'll be honest that's when i hear a producer or a song or an album whatever is using a lot of live instrumentation obviously i'm into that like i fucking i love other kinds of music that's not like grimy hip-hop of course but I find live instrumentation is one of the most obvious examples of where producers and engineers or whatever really kind of miss the mark. A lot of times it's way too polished and clean. And sometimes that sound makes sense for whatever is being created. But a lot of times it's just like, God, this feels lifeless. But with you, like on this new album, Maps, and just throughout your whole, whole career, really, like I've always admired how you've been able to balance like this kind of polish that comes from some of that inherent in some of the live instrumentation but it still feels like gritty it still feels a bit messy where needed and it has a character and i think you do that really well well thank you first of all and i i wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said uh i think that the type of hip-hop that often incorporates a lot of live instruments it is very easy for it to veer off into something that's kind of corny mm-hmm to me at least, and, and this is just my own opinion, but I, I very agree with what you just said. Uh, and that I am very conscious to try and not do that. Cause that, that's not what I'm, what I'm interested in doing at all. Uh, and I think I've touched on this in other maybe interviews and stuff or things that are out there of like how I often try to approach recording people. Like I, 
not that people don't ever come in and play a part for something. I mean, they certainly do. And, and FaceTime, for instance, would be something where like Sam had like already laid that vocal melody. And I literally called Aaron to come in and like play a part for me because I was like, mm-hmm. I want you to double his melody. Like I think it'll be tight. But for the most part, I don't have people come in to figure out a part for the song. I'm more I'm like, yo, like, like it was like how I was saying, in, I think earlier in this interview, like I might have like Ryan or Aaron or, or Mike Parvizi or someone come by and I'll just like load up like four or five beats in rapid succession. Just have them do like a hot take like once or twice or maybe three times through if we feel we need to of just see what happens and then i'll go back and chop that shit up maybe i'll have them come back on another day if there's something that they played that i think is really good that i wish they played it better and mm-hmm. we can turn it in but for the most part i just deal with what they gave me imperfections or whatever it is and all and i chop it up and i try and do something that, of it more like how i would treat a record that i'm chopping up and i know that that's part of the formula of how I make it sound the way I do, but I don't think that's all of it either. I think it's also working with the right people. Like I know a lot of very talented musicians, like, uh, but you see the same names over and over again on my stuff. And I don't think my stuff sounds like the same thing over and over again either, but I use those people because they're, we have a rapport and they, they understand the type of stuff that I, that, goes good on th- like like they have the same type of intuitions that i have uh i think uh and it helps us get there easily and quickly uh but yeah i agree with you that it's that it's very easy yeah to to throw live instruments on top of like a jazzy hip-hop beat and find yourself into some territory that's like look it's all stuff that i would like to listen to like i also don't want to come off like i'm dissing like a lot of like like hip-hop like that because Mm -hmm. like i enjoy listening to it it's just not super interesting and i'm always really i'm always trying to do something that's really interesting like to me that's part of that like some people want to make music that's super technical and show off their abilities of how they can do certain technical things i'm more trying to like yeah make something that's really interesting whether it's technical or not and uh, I have a on this kind of topic related to working with you know an MC or now I guess um, additional instrumentals as as you've been highlighting. Um, I have a patron question from Andre. He's asking like how how improv improvisation as a producer works with an MC or additional instrumentalist when recording or collaborating. Like, is this something you encourage? Is it kind of how you say you just kind of let them do their own thing and then take what's they did and chop it up later? So that's a good, that's actually a good question. It's, it's a balance to be honest. And this is part of being a producer. This is part of the skill of being a producer. I think is you always want to get the best performance out of the artist, whether it's the, someone coming in to play a instrument on my beat or whether it's the vocalist or whatever, but you also have intuitions on what would be the best thing to do. And you want to push them towards doing that. So for each person, I'd say it's different. Uh, my my approach because they're different people and I, I try to read the room and like see what is the most effective thing when it comes to instruments a lot of times I do have some I mean when I'm just having someone like that I trust that I collaborate with like a lot doing like some hot takes on things often like they I'm like do whatever but then as they're playing like let's say like Ryan's playing through and he hits on some little thing I'm like yo no stop just do that again 
keep on riff on that do that for like the next two minutes let's do a whole pass of that like or something like that and then as he's doing it i might be like you're almost there like take out three notes it's too complicated still like or something mm -hmm. like i might i give direction as we move towards something uh but then there's also times where like, for instance, the Aaron Shrub bringing back the FaceTime, I brought him in. I was like, I have a very specific thing I want you to do. Like there's this really cool melody on this course. I want you to double it. And uh, we doubled it a couple of ways up and down octave. And, uh, but then I was like, now that you know the song and you know that melody, I'm going to just let you blow all the way through the song three times on the instrument or two times on the instrumental and just do your thing and have fun with it. Out of that is how I, chop the little solo that's at the end of the song now sometimes in those moments he might do some shit that's like super dope that i never envisioned that ends up becoming the whole thing like you never know but it's it's like a balance between letting them feel comfortable like that they got up got off all that they wanted to get off and also like allowing like happy accidents to happen but also making sure that you get what you want so so yeah i, I would say every person i approach differently but that is like definitely a big consideration i think uh when working with someone from a like like from a producer's perspective, when we talk about collaboration more, what kind of traits are you looking for specifically in a rapper when determining if they're if they'd be a good fit to kind of lock in with them on a project? Uh, more than anything, like a definitely a requirement is that they're an original. Like I've I've been super lucky because I've worked with so many original people. Like, and by original, I mean like. For instance, after after I did So the Flies Don't Come with, with Rory, with uh, tons of rappers that all sounded like Rory, all hit me up mm -hmm. wanting to work on stuff. And no offense, some of them are quite good at what they're doing. But why would I want to, to me, like, I have no desire to, like, do something. I don't even want to do the same thing that I've done with Rory again with rory i certainly don't want to do it with someone that sounds kind of like him but like not quite as good so yeah. to me the number one thing is i'm not even interested if it's not someone that to me is like the original of of some idea doesn't necessarily need to be super out there crazy just like doing their own thing uh but also to me for the most part and this isn't true with every single case but I have like an actual connection with them. Uh, I've done very few projects with people that I didn't know personally before we not necessarily like best friends or anything, but like I knew them from various avenues uh, before we started working on something. And then obviously for me, like I hear something in different people and, and it's not always what you'd expect. It's not like, Oh, he raps really dope or he, like, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I could hear what you're doing. I have this weird idea of some electronic thing that I'm trying to do. And I think the way that even though you're a rapper, the way you sang on that one song might be interesting on the idea that it, like it's can sometimes be very random things or it can just be like happenstance that like the right person hits me up at the right time. And I just happen to have the right song for that thing. Like, to me, although I turn down most people that hit me up to do stuff, I would say uh, it's not because I'm like only collaborating with 
famous people are only doing this or that. It's literally just because at this point, I'm only trying to do things that I'm like, that make a lot of sense to me and that inspire me artistically. And that, yeah, like, like there's too many cool things to be a part of, to like waste time on things that are like too big of a stretch or too, or just don't make sense. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, originality is definitely probably the biggest thing. Having having something to say, having like not, yeah, I'm just not. There's I listen to plenty of music that's like not necessarily innovative in any of different way, but I'm yeah, I'm always I don't know I'm yeah stuff that inspires me. Right, and you've worked with a lot of different kind of artists, which is obviously very interesting as a fan of yours, and. One thing I'm I'm thinking of is, do you tend to be the type of producer that wants to collaborate with a rapper and make them, quote unquote, like enter your world musically? Or do you take the approach of really trying to tailor and shift what you do and mold it to what fits them best? Oh, the latter, definitely, though, though a little bit of both. I mean, and I do think that even albums as diverse as like Hiding Places and like Purple Moonlight Pages, they share some common aesthetic of my sound. But yeah, I'm definitely much more of the latter. I'm trying to like listen to what they, to me, that's my strength is I'm I'm not like Mad Lib or like Alchemist where I have this like super, super defined sound and it's like, like stamped on the artist kind of like, which which is dope like i mean i love both of those guys and many many of their projects but i try to be more i think my strength is more like listening to what they're all about and figuring out how i can enhance what they're doing uh i mean with my stuff but like how it can enhance their shit as opposed to like stamping my sound on their stuff but that's how i look at it definitely They filthy fucks, what else? Mad clumsy, saw so muttering in the corner about something, yes. Capital S blessed and grappled with stress. The best was chartreuse, bet he's part sleuth and dark art. Artists in the boot, partition the loot. Disperse to veteran crews, then reinstate the old rules. Warn the cynical sky scanner, the black man's Bruce Banner is an eye camera. You know, so you created some truly landmark collaborative records, in my opinion throughout your career, such as, you know, working with Rap Ferreira and Woods, Hemlock Ernst, like so many people. And that's been both as a solo producer and as part of like the Jefferson Park Boys, you know, so excluding maps, which obviously we'll get to in depth shortly, what would you say was the most impactful album you've worked on to date in terms of it helping you grow as an artist or just taught you something? Those are two, I guess the two ways that you ended that question, I have two very different answers. Okay, go ahead. Taught me something. Well, I would say that So the Flies Don't Come was a very seminal moment for me. Meeting Rory, like he, uh, and, and I got to throw a bus driver in here too, because it was, it was all like during this moment in my life where like I was working very closely with bu- me and bus driver had known each other for well over a decade at that point. But like, there's this moment where I was recording all his albums and he started bringing me on tour and like working with him live. Uh, and that, and through that, he, 
he introduced me to Rory, but that was really the moment where I realized there was like an audience in indie rap that was very different than the project bloat audience that I had kind of met up until that point mm-hmm. uh, that was interested in more experimental stuff and more like me doing my own thing the way I see saw fit. Uh, so that moment and then working with Rory, who was like this super free artist, I had I had up until then I had been like the young dude working with kind of they weren't old, but they, they were like in their in their thirties, like and I was in my my twenties at the time, like most of the Project Blowed guys. And I was very much like following all the rules that were being presented to me. And Rory was just like, fuck the rules. I do whatever the fuck I want. And it seemed to be working so well for him. And like that was super inspiring to me and then making that album with him where there was beats on there that I never would have even presented to like ab or any of the other people I was working with at the time and seeing how he was transforming these things into like such cool stuff. And like, I don't know that, that there was, it definitely like that opened my mind to like a whole lot of possibilities and a whole lot of, uh, a lot of artistic growth and kind of sparked everything that happened after that was really like me slowly reacting to all the lessons that I learned over that like time period, like right around then. Yeah. Cause like even hiding places, like, and that hiding places was kind of a seminal moment too. And that, that was the first moment I, when we were working on that, first of all, like there was no inkling that it was going to be that big of a deal. Like, like when mm-hmm. we were working on it, Uh, But that was the first time I was still doing a lot of like music. I think this is in other interviews, like I I had worked for a company doing music for like TV shows and TV commercials and movies and stuff. It basically just got hired to, it was like a freelance music house that would get hired just to like write music for things. Uh, And I left there, I had gotten fired. And then I was kind of freelancing still in that world a lot though. That was how I was making most of my income and hiding places was the first time where I was like, once we were like halfway through with it, I was like, I need, I was like, this album is really good. I really need to focus on this. I'm going to like turn down work. At that time, I was still like, I'd be working on a hip hop stuff and then I'd get like a call to be doing stuff for some various like freelance gig and I would drop everything and I would work on the freelance gig and then I'd come back to the hip hop stuff when, when I could like basically And that was the first time where I was like, I'm going to, for the next like three months, I'm going to turn down all freelance work and like tell everyone I'm not available, which was, it's kind of a risky thing when you do freelance stuff, like people don't call you back too many times, like after that. Uh, And I I basically went all in on that album about halfway through and was like, this, I really think like I'm in this zone and I I know what I'm doing. I got to like, so that, and then having that pay off was this like big life lesson also where I was like, Oh shit, I need to bet on myself. Uh, and, and I still do the occasional freelance gig, but now I do it when it, when it lines up and makes sense. And if I'm working on like last year, I think I barely did any freelance gigs because I was working on four different albums the whole year between maps and the other things that have yet to come out. So, so yeah, that was also like a big moment of artistic growth. And then I would also say that the last one, sorry, I, I made this, question i think more complicated than no, it was no, no, this is great exactly what i was curious about. Uh, the last one would be purple moonlight pages and and i guess maps too in that the, those two i feel like are thesis statement Pur- purple moonlight pages in particular 
was all of the ideas that I had been kind of developing. Because every album I learned, you learn lessons with every, everything you do, you learn lessons. That's what I love about music in general is that even when you've been doing it for 20 years, I still feel like a noob learning new things all the time. And every project you gain, you gain experience and you gain lessons and you say, oh, I'm never going to do that again or, I'm gonna, or I am going to do that again. Purple Moonlight Pages to me was like, the culminate it was like my master's thesis of like all of the techniques all of the ideas that like now i'm articulating how i do live instrumentation and shit but all of that's like a journey and a process to figure out how to do that the way you do it and that was the album where i was like i've learned all these lessons and i executed them all like really well to me like like there's no like regrets like often there's right. always something i can point out to it on an album where i'm like oh man i wish i had done that better i wish i had done this like that's one where i'm like oh we we did it like we finally we I, we did it i did it all correctly and it all came out the way i wanted it to uh so that was also i would say like a moment maybe not artistic growth well yeah artistic growth but but different than those other ones and that they sparked artistic growth this one was like the culmination of that artistic growth i think yeah i mean i think even like as a as a uh, what do you call it as a listener i feel so the flies don't come from my perspective i was already on i was on rory i think all right no i was on rory i like when things that happened that day and night that was the first time i had heard him and since then i was a big fan so that's 2012 or or no, i think that's 2013 yeah, like, yeah i think yeah and so when when Solar Flies Don't Come, I was up on him and I heard the album as it dropped and I was floored. That was definitely the fav my favorite Rory-related uh, project at the time. And I think for me, that just opened up my... Kind of what you said. I like how you put it. Like, it just, it really made me think like, damn, like, you don't need to follow rules. Like, what are rules? Like, why? And it just made me question a lot of, like, preconceived notions I had about music. And it also kind of just introduced me to a kind of an ecosystem of rap that I feel has definitely developed even further than it was there, but it was a really good like gateway into that kind of music. And yeah. And, and to amazing. give credit where yeah. credit is due, like that lane did exist before Rory. I mean, that that's really 100%. what bus driver and artists like that were, were doing even before that. But Rory kind of brought that lane from the like, back in the day indie hip-hop into present day hip-hop i think he was mm -hmm. the one that really like 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 followed that thread through because otherwise that tradition might have like kind of burned out like like a lot of things from like early 2000s indie mm -hmm. hip-hop are like slowly kind of like the flames are finally finally dying and like yeah like he 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 brought that tradition like into the future with uh with that whole era exactly and so in addition to collaborative projects you've made with vocalists you've also released very good instrumental records as well such as indoors from 21 and happy little trees from uh 2018 which i i will call out uh because woods has mentioned this a few times is just he always is consistently raving about how oh happy he, little he trees loves that is album the, yeah is this like the, uh, literally his favorite he, shit he has a couple personal reasons why he loves that album but but also i i love that album too i will say this sometimes i don't think it's the one of the top hip-hop instrumental albums just because to me that album is barely a hip-hop album 
I think it is a dope instrumental album. And I, mm. it, I sometimes he says it's like the top five instrumental albums. Sometimes I've seen him say the top five hip hop instrumental albums. And that always makes me a little uncomfortable because I'm like, I don't think Happy Little Trees and it's, I don't want to compare it to like Mad Libs, like Blue Note album or like instrumentals or introducing because I don't think it even like I think it's just a different type of album to me. But I love that album like no, uh, yeah definitely and, and and yes and yes uh woods definitely uh he, he loves that album I, I believe his uh his son uh will only sleep when mm-hmm. that album is playing is is one of the reasons why uh it's so high up on his list oh, that's uh, i've told i've told him one day when his son is, is older i'm going to gift him one of my remaining copies of it on vinyl oh that'd be very that'd be very sweet that'd be very sweet yeah and so i, I i'm wondering like what do you feel is that you it is that you get out of producing a true blue instrumental only album that you maybe don't get out of working on a collaborative project with another vocalist like so in other well, words like is there something that unlocks in your artistry or gives you space that you don't have otherwise no it gives me a lot of heartburn and uh extra work <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest the reason there's only re- very few i mean there's the ken instrumentals but those are more like beat tapes yeah. the reason there's not a lot more instrumental albums is because i find it much easier to work with a vocalist collaborator and i just enjoy it more uh not that i don't enjoy making happy little trees and, and indoors but it just doesn't come as easily i would say I, I I think that I'm really good at playing off of someone else's ideas and fleshing them out. Like that's one of my one of my superpowers is like if someone has a good idea, I can play off that and I can make it whole and like build out the world really well. I don't think I'm like incredibly great at coming up with the thesis idea of things. Uh that's why I love working with these wildly creative people like like Rory, Self Jupiter, Woods, like because they 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 come up with this initial nugget and then I can flesh it into some whole world around it. Uh, so yeah, it, not that I can't do that. It just doesn't come as easily or naturally to me. So uh, that's why you don't see as many instrumental albums from me. Uh, normally, an instrumental album happens when there's enough. Like there's certain beat ideas that obviously should be a more of like a rap song there's not like a ton of meat on the bone but then mm. there's sometimes you have an you have i have beats that like i realize that there's a lot of stuff like in fact if as the crow flies hadn't happened that would definitely be like a beat like that beat there's like a four minute version of it like uh with with more things that happen than what you hear on the record sometimes you have a beat like that and i normally have a whole bunch of itunes playlists that have different like collections of unused beats like that i think go together in different ways and when one of them that's full of like possible instrumental ideas gets full enough and i see a a connecting through line of some some type of artistic idea with them that's when an instrumental album is born (laughs) so it's yeah neither of those albums were like I've never actually sat down with an instrumental album where I was like, I'm making an instrumental album and it's going to be about this. And it's going to be like that. Like that just never happens for me. Uh, Yeah. There's like a moment where I'm like, Oh shit, these four tracks really go well together. I think like, yeah, these don't really need a vocalist. Yeah. Let's, let's come up with like indoors happen like that. There was like four songs that went together. And then I think I made like two or three more 
and then realized I had another song that just went with them after a certain point that I'd already, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, uh, they just come together when they come together while a hip hop album, if you told me like, I have to make a hip hop album with this rapper about such and such, I'd have an easier time, like making that happen. Interesting. So let's get into one of those albums you made. Let's get into maps finally. So the reception for this album has been absolutely fucking incredible. And honestly, as a fan and a longtime fan of both you and Woods for many years now, it was genuinely heartwarming to see just as an outsider to see like all the acclaim, all the press, all of the just the positive vibes going towards his record. So from your perspective, how has this positive press fan reaction impacted you on a personal level? Uh, it's a trip to be honest. Uh, I mean, I can't say that I'm not at all used to people like reacting to stuff at this point, but certainly not on this level. I'm still waiting for the gotcha moment. I'm waiting for someone to write the hit piece about how Mm -hmm. my beats suck or some shit like someday (laughs) or have some comeuppance with it all. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's dope. Uh, I guess at this point I'm a little numb to it at first. It was like, definitely like there's a few days where I was sitting around like, overwhelmed by how many articles were being written about it like it seemed like they were being written by the hour Mm -hmm. uh but yeah like uh it's been been cool overwhelmingly positive i'm trying to just i try not to think about it too much or dwell on it because to be honest that i don't think dwelling on that either helps you make good art and I certainly don't think it helps you be in a good mental state. Uh, even when people are talking overwhelmingly positive about you, it's just weird having strangers talk about you on the internet in general. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's surreal, I guess would be another word to put. Yeah, I, I, I basically at this point, there was definitely a, a week or two. It, it was good that we started touring right away because when we're on tour, like it's really hard to even like, look at that stuff and you yeah. like when you're sitting at home like the first couple of days obviously you're like overwhelmed by your social media stuff blowing up but uh but yeah being on the on the road with woods like we didn't really like yeah, we have moments definitely where we're like in amsterdam smoking germ we're like damn dude like this is crazy like <laughs> we did this but like for the most part yeah we can just there's so many things to be dealing with that are right in front of your face all the time. You don't have a lot of time to like go look at the newest review or anything like that. I think I wrote this on Twitter like a couple of weeks ago. One thing that I, I was aware of their existence, but never had it happen to my art before, but reaction videos, that's such a odd. Oh yeah. Genre. yeah, you did. I saw that watching other people react to things just is very odd. And then seeing them react to my thing was uh, the, that that one dude, the, the one I replied to is, it, I, I'm sure he has a name, but he, he I think even the, the video is posted. It's called like Senior Reacts to. Yeah, that's how they like, get the clicks. It's like, like, it's like rock fan reacts to Kendrick Lamar thing. You know, like that's how they get the clicks. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it was like senior reacts to Billy Woods and Kenny Siegel's FaceTime, but it was just so charming because he really liked it. And then he said how he hadn't smoked reefer in a long time, but it made him <laughs> high when he listened to our song. <laughs> and I was yeah. just like, I was like, damn, dude, that was, that was a fun, fun reaction. Mm-hmm. 
uh yeah i kind of I, I weirdly i don't watch a lot of those but I, I i get it i get why people like it it's something just about like it's kind of like the closest thing you can get if you can't play the song to your friends in front of them and like yo like sitting beside you on the couch like yo check this out because that's always a good feeling when i'm like yo, that, check out that's this really a really good, good insight right there uh but it's also sad to me like that that's what our society has come to that it's kind of like the idea of like having like a fake boyfriend or girlfriend that's like an ai that's like a chat bot or something <laughs> like that it's like that we have just completely disassociated ourselves to like yeah i mean that's a, that is a that is a that is a way you can look at it and i think that's valid i think there's both sides to it i think it's also like, like just the online of... connection stuff which i think is somewhat cool but yeah. oh i get it and and this is yeah. another moment where i'm probably sounding old it's, yeah it's somehow like i mean i i'm obviously on social media i i use all of these tools uh but there's just like a weird lack of human interaction sometimes. Oh yeah, I agree. And that 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 younger generations I see embrace, while like to me I'm like a little bit like weirded out by it all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that really impressed me with how Map sounds is this really razor sharp cohesion. Even though the sound, like the songs, have many different layers, there's a lot of variety from track to track. I do find it ebbs and flows in a really natural way like it's 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 really incredible in that sense like how would you describe the musical blueprint you were trying to uh put forward with maps uh it kind of came to get like like many things i can't say that we set off like i like i didn't know exactly what this album was going to sound like when we really first started it i think i've described this before like how it started off i sent him a bunch of beats that were all over the place and like a song or two materialized out of that and then going off of that i sent some more beats and it wasn't really until like the third round once we had like five or six songs that i really like started honing in on like what the sound of the album even was and it wasn't until even further along than that that the track listing started there was a certain point when we were maybe like 12 songs in or so that we started seeing like a certain ebb and flow of how the tracks were going and it wasn't until then that i really started seeing the forest for the trees for the album of like this idea of how the music is part of like is like vignettes on the journey like mm -hmm. like that wasn't that wasn't like like a lot of those things weren't like apparent like right when we first started making the album you know what i mean like i mean when we first started making the album it, it wasn't even apparent that it was going to be about touring necessarily uh like mm -hmm. like he pretty early on was like i want this to be like all written while i'm traveling but it wasn't necessarily that that means it's about traveling or touring so yeah it wasn't really until about probably like halfway or maybe a little bit over halfway into the process that like now there's certainly a certain point in the process where i'm like oh shit i get it i see how this is going and then from that point on the beats i presented to him to fill out the rest of the album and even where like 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 then, then it started getting a lot more calculated like oh we need a song like this or we need a, I, we, I think that this section of these beats or this part of the album doesn't flow into this part. And like, maybe we need a, a 
like here's four beats that I think could maybe be a good like beat that go there and maybe one of these becomes a song stuff like that became like so there is some strategic thinking like that but but definitely not from the get-go like a lot of it is just things that fall into place and I think that's I certainly know people that work in a much more regimented and, and very intentional, like, like, I don't want to say my shit isn't intentional because there's a lot of intention that goes into everything, but like being really open in the early stages to kind of anything I think is a good strategy and certainly a strategy that I employ as a producer of like, let's be really open in the beginning and then coalesce once we see something that's dope and that's working and then then be laser focused at a certain point i think that idea of being open is really is really cool because i imagine as, like as you did say woods the only thing he really kind of concretely said before the process really kicked off was like i want to write this while touring and as you said it doesn't mean the album is about touring now by definition but i think the fact that you guys were open probably allowed you you two to create something to where where Woods kind of naturally was writing and how he was kind of, you know, creating the the verses for the beats you were creating naturally just like brought you to the conclusion that this is where like his mind state is. This is where your mind state is. And then you, as you said, like you coalesced on that and you you locked it in and put those like actual more calculated touches on it to make it proper and make sense. So that that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, it's funny because this whole interview, I don't know if anyone will be able to see this because there's no video, but like he has the painting from Happy Little Trees as his background behind him. Mm -hmm. But like in a painting, like a lot of one thing that I really like about, especially about oil painting versus like acrylics is so much simpler and that like for the supply, like the supplies are cheaper and easier and easier to clean up and whatnot. But what I love about oil painting is like, this idea that you kind of start with some like like this underpainting and things are kind of smudges and like very blurry and then you add focus to it and like something that doesn't seem that seems very random you eventually like you build up layers and all of a sudden it comes into focus and turns into something that's very intentional all from like some pretty kind of random scratches of paints in the beginning and I, I like that idea I think I think that that carries over into a lot of things in life but i like that idea of like being very open in the beginning yeah and then then being intentional seeing seeing what happens like throwing throwing some shit up at the wall seeing what sticks and then building something off of that that's very extensive right yeah i think that perfectly that's a good metaphor for how you approach maps but i think as you're saying how you approach your music in general and i, I yeah and i just generally like aesthetically i love this album in particular in that it had a really strong drum presence, which I know you've always had great drums, but this one really hit like the, the percussion on songs like rapper weed, the textures with the keys. Like it was just a really fucking well done. And, and I just have to say props for that. Thank you. I, I definitely like at some point, I know I said to Woods that I wanted drums to be, or fairly early on in the process like i like when we were still talking about like what the sound of the album was i definitely there was a conversation where i was like well i want to have drums i feel like mm -hmm. Ethiopes didn't have a ton of drums and then he argued with me that Ethiopes had a ton of drums and i was like yeah, non-traditional non -traditional drums yeah. 
then we had this whole and we had this whole discussion about drums between us but i know that that happened early on and that was definitely something i was thinking about not like the guiding force necessarily but def- definitely like uh it's 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 cool when people pick up on things like that because you're like oh shit like that really did happen like you really uh and and shout out preservation like Ethiopes has amazing drums. I just meant like not like yeah drum yeah like this kind of drums a lot of them yeah. And in fact, being on on the tour where we play some songs off Ethiopes and Church, man, like uh, the way those beats hit sometimes on the sound system sound mm-hmm. super fucking dope. Uh, it it gives you a whole new appreciation. It, same with with uh, I mean the same thing happened to me for Hiding Places, which I've I've obviously listened to Hiding Places plenty of times. Uh, but being doing the live shows and hearing them on a loud sound system, I'm like, oh shit! Now I remember why people love this. Yeah, shit I, mean, so I think much. I, like, I saw I saw like hiding sometimes. like I saw Woods perform I think solo in Toronto in October last year. I think when you got to the hiding places part of the set, he like, I think like SpongeBob came on and he like two different songs. I think SpongeBob and another. He's like, man, I love these Kenny Siegel beats. Run that back, and he just played like the introductory instrumental multiple times in a row because it sounds so fucking oh, like the damn. bass lines are crazy that's that's tight i did not know that that's a funny story lit the lamp ball before the sun rise before sparrow cry from thistle the kettle ball before it whistle the sky bleed purple the night fight before it die Squatting in the soil with the fistful, but my hands been dirty since before I could grasp time. Before we had new names, before we was new in our own eyes. You've obviously worked, we talked about this at length already, like you've worked with many other incredibly, incredibly great and unique rappers over the years. And I imagine working with each and every one of these MCs is its own experience. And so with Woods particularly, what are his most unique skills or aspects of his style that you've observed working so closely with him on two albums now? Well, two things. First of all, Woods raps on beats like no one else would like, which I, I find that very, very fun and interesting, often genius, sometimes perplexing. Uh, certainly when we first started working on hiding places, sometimes when he would send me the vocals of things, because I, I was not super well versed in Woods' back catalog when we first started working on hiding places, I would be perplexed by how he would come on some of the beats, like the rhythms of his like his cadence. I was like, that is not at all how I heard that shit. But it sounds dope, but like not at all how I heard it. Uh, and then... What's really interesting to me on maps is I feel like he's refined even just in that time period. And certainly when you go back and listen to his even earlier stuff, uh, which now I've done extensively, he's refined it without drastically changing it. But he's subtly refined it in ways that on maps, it's almost like the the master. The, how I was saying like Purple Moonlight Pages was like my master thesis of like taking instrumentation and samples and making a jazzy hip hop like maps to me is like his master thesis of like taking a lot of those styles in the most refined way I think it's ever been presented. So the other thing though, is that he is one of those people that is so good at the multiple layers of 
even when you don't know what he's talking about, his lyrics paint pictures that feel like movie scenes often. And then when you start learning what he's talking about, you're like, oh, fucking shit. And then when you realize that the stuff that he was talking about also has like a double entendre to some other shit that you had no idea about that's on top of it all, you're like, God damn, this guy is like a, a wizard in, in lyrics. But what's cool about it is that often there's other people that are really good at like hidden meanings and stuff like that. There's other people that are really good about having like obtuse references that are like rewarding when you look them up, but combining that with like these accessible one-liners, or even if you don't know what the, what he's talking about, like this, these feelings and painting these pictures where almost anyone, there's so many levels to enjoy it on. And I think that that's one thing that people are just starting to catch up on with woods. That that's very unique. Like that skill set is not something like, like there's other people that are masters at, any one of those three things or maybe even two out of the three but all three at the same time is a rare yeah exactly rare i think something i've likened his lyrical style to be is just very slippery in the sense that i find like you said he he can say multiple things in a verse like some multiple different kind of ideas but then which a lot of rappers do like i, I guess you call it like more tangential style like free association type rap style which again other rappers have done in the past and done it very well but i think what woods does that's special is that he can do that but then those seemingly kind of random maybe stories or ideas in the same verse actually connect in some way like they paint like they're they're connected thematically and for some reason like i think a a perfect example is one of his best songs ever in my opinion no hard feelings where all those different kind of like the story of the person outside his building, him getting stood up by a girl, that like astronaut that he references at the beginning of the song. All those did feed into that no hard feelings mantra that which kind of just feel just elevates the uh, my appreciation for the music once you actually can pick up on all those things. And I think also one thing that is becoming like I've seen this, uh, this meme or just it's kind of like discourse if you will like online where now i feel he's getting a lot more fans that are maybe less familiar with him or maybe less familiar with this kind of music generally they they tend to just think everything he says is like this deep reference to like colonialism and racial like something like really deep and a lot of times i think what makes him great as you said is that he also just loops in very normal relatable life experiences slice of life content in a funny way in a very relatable way and in a very emotionally evocative way and i think if you put all those things together it makes him be quite the special mc because i don't find his lyricism is honestly all that confusing in the sense of it's a lot of flowery big words and crazy abstract type shit it's more just like how he structures things and puts it all together that is very unique and is complex i guess you could say kind of like almost like uh like an author like like murakami not not that i've even read that many of his books but the ones that i have like a few years back i read that that really long one iq84 and it kind of starts with a whole bunch of like vignettes of things and you don't really know exactly what the story you don't know what like you even when you get to the end of the book you don't even know what the Mm -hmm. book was exactly about but you know what it was about at the same time like like all these different things they they kind of build up to paint a picture 
and then the threads start coming together and you start seeing how they're related but even before they are like like it like paints this picture and i think that he kind of has that same type of way of putting together a rap song sometimes of like these different threads but they they weave together and so like given these unique aspects of his style and all that like how has that because you mentioned like he he does enter a certain pocket in beats that you just find perplexing you didn't expect how has that influence how does that influence you producing for him like do you make like do you tweak the kinds of beats that you create for use with woods or like how does that work no i wouldn't say so at all if anything one thing on maps that i did i don't think this was like a huge like thought but it was definitely something I thought about is on hiding places. I definitely did lean into like giving like weirder rhythms, like a song like toothy, which where the beat, it's like kind of like a trap beat, but like the, the mm-hmm. groove of it's like super weird, but I, but it was kind of like playing off of like, that was in the process and hiding places where I was kind of like, Oh man, like all these cadences are crazy and I'm going to give them crazy cadenced rhythms to go with it if anything like on maps towards the beginning when i was thinking about what i thought would sound good i was going back to something like known unknowns in my head of how sometimes on those blockhead beats that are like more conventional like would sound super dope on those too like i said like i don't think this is like influenced like all of maps or anything but i definitely like that thought occurred to me that i wanted to do something that was like giving him, if anything, a more conventional rhythm than his most recent albums. Cause I just think he sounds really good sometimes on, on a conventional sounding mm-hmm. drum beat. I mean, not necessarily the song is conventional, but like, yeah, I, I, I definitely feel the rhythms be more conventional, which is why I feel, I think a lot of people feel this actually. I've heard that this is definitely one of his most accessible albums from people who are not as familiar with Woods. And again, it's not to say it is like a, some all of a sudden like generic mainstream album, obviously, but it is more accessible. I think because of especially how you, what you contribute in those, those rhythms that are, I feel more palatable to people that are maybe not as closely tapped into the more experimental sides of, of the hip hop scene these days. And I think it also one thing, I think it really lent itself well to something that Woods has been steadily improving on for years now, which is his hook game. Because fuck, this album has, I think, his best hooks ever. Oh, he surprised me on that for sure. When, when When he did Rapper Weed, which was pretty early on, I was like, dude, I was like, that's a hook. I was like, you don't do hooks. I was like, that hook is amazing. Uh, and then, yeah, the layover, like, like, yeah, and, and uh, free internet. There, there's, yeah, there's a whole bunch of. Yeah, and he's always been good with hooks, but I think there is something that he, he, they've always been a little more again because the his the rhythms and the kind of beats he's on are always a little unconventional. So it was kind of like cool seeing him. I think steadily improve the hook game, just generally that songwriting muscle of his. But also now over these kinds of beats, it really popped especially, and it was really noticeable on on this album like rapper weed like i said that's the that's the one i always point to on this record because i was just like that's a hard uh it's a very wordy hook but it, it works super well and it's it's just it's very impressive yeah i i totally agree 
And so uh, maps is clearly not a hiding places to affair, right? And I think that's something that's put in the description. You guys didn't intend to make that just a, a follow-up sequel type album. So from a musical perspective, how did you how did you approach maps differently than hiding places? The only thing I knew when from the initial beats I sent them was I was not trying to do beats that sounded like they could have been on hiding places. This album kind of came together from a couple random shots in the dark. And then once we had a few things to coalesce around, that's when I really started honing in on what the sound was. And by the end, we, every beat I was playing him was like a calculated move of what we needed. But yeah, it's it's just kind of a process. And I would say like every album that I do is like that. It's always like kind of starts like you're searching to figure out what we're trying to do. And then once we figure out what that is, it, it feels like you're in the matrix dodging bullets, like mm. like putting stuff together. That is like one of my favorite feelings in the world is when you're in a project and you're in that like three quarters of, or two thirds of the way done. There's still lots of stuff to do and there's still like lots of open avenues, but you like feel like dialed in and you know, it's like the same as like being like in the middle of the tour when like the show, you don't have any nerves about the show. Everything feels dialed in and you can just be like fully present in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. You're in like anyway, a flow sorry. state. You're in like a flow yeah, state exactly. in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so so shifting to the future now, who's who's a rapper that you would absolutely love to collaborate with in the future? Let's say on a full project. I feel like I don't want to even answer that question because it'll either jinx it or mess it up. But I mean, there's definitely people that I'm interested in. Some of them I've even expressed before in public. But yeah, it kind of cornies it all up if I'm like out there saying saying that stuff. But yeah, and and most importantly, like I had, I mean, I, I I'm I'm also like I'm not big on like trying to force things to happen. Mm -hmm. Like if things if things happen, that that's that's when it'll happen. Uh, if if like if everything lines up in the right way, uh, there's definitely people that I'm interested in working with. But I'm also interested in working with someone who I've never even heard yet if they inspire me. So like I'm not I'm not super dialed into to anything. Yeah. And and I'm already in the process of working with a whole bunch of people that are uh that we're still trying to finish up projects as well right now. So uh yeah. Yeah, right. So let's get into that then. Like is there anything you can speak on that or maybe not speak on with names that uh people yeah, yeah. should look out for in the future? The next very exciting thing happening is an album with the artist Pink Naval. Oh sick coming out on Ruby nice. Yacht. Uh, we yeah. have an entire album that's already done, mastered, physicals being created, and it's super dope. Like last year, I, I made a number of albums all kind of concurrently. So this was made at the same time as Maps. Very different sounds, but equally to me, exciting beats. And Dev is killing it on this album. Dev, like, Dev was already an amazing artist, but they definitely grew a whole ton on this this project as well uh it's uh it's kind of about video games this album but it's it's not it's not like a your typical album about video games at all uh and what's also exciting about it is that i made a video game myself uh that's been one of my new hobbies is coding oh, wow. and uh we have a game that it's it's like companion to the album it's it's like the like they're you don't need one or the other to enjoy each, each other but uh but it's like uh if anyone's into like slay the spire it's like a card battling game 
but all based on Rubyot characters. You play as like me, Pink Naval, Rat Ferrer, SB Moore. And then you have like cards that let you like there's different stances. There's like wordsmith stance when you're an MC and you have a rhyme book and cards let you like write rhymes in your rhyme book and then drop albums that are like attacks based on how many pages are written in your rhyme book. And then you have like beatsmith stance where you have like a sampler and like cards let you sample records onto the pads and then the different pads are like attack defend and heal and then you can like play a card that lets you make a beat so you can hit the pads and like execute your attacks uh it's all it's all like some nerdy hip-hop very stuff. intricate it's, it sounds very intricate. yeah it, it's it's very intricate there's i've made a ridiculous amount of content there's over 100 cards there's four characters like 30 different monsters to defeat a typical run, it's like a roguelike. So you start from the beginning every time. A typical run, if you get towards the end, takes about like 40 minutes or so. Uh, so it's definitely like, it's like a real game. Like it's not some like rinky-dink shit. But uh, anyway, enough about the video game. I also have an album with the rapper Abstract Rude. Nice. That uh, we are getting close to the finish line on that one. Another totally different sound, definitely more of like a West Coast uh, underground hip hop kind of vibe. Again, Ab killed it on this album. I'm very excited for people to hear it. We're still shopping that one around. So, so the Pink Naval one is probably like, I don't know if I have an, a firm release date, but it should be out by the end of summer, I think. Uh, so okay, that one's cool. like actually happening fairly soon. The Abstract Rude thing, hopefully by the end of this year. I have an album with this really interesting jazz band called Human Error Club uh, based out of LA that I'm producing an album for them. It's like a band, like and an improvised band at that. So it's like a kind of a different type of producer role uh, on this one. But that's like a really exciting project that's kind of bubbling. And then I have an album with the singer that uh, that one, I don't know if I or. Yeah, I think I've already talked about it anyway. I can talk about it. With the singer Benjamin Booker. He's the one that's saying the oh, hook on the song Baby Steps. That's we have a whole album. This album is amazing. Uh it's still being like shopped around and yada yada yada. But like whenever this comes out, this album is fucking amazing. It's really good. It's like nothing you've ever heard from me. Like, think like walls of distorted guitars but then with also some like kenny siegel style beats and it's it's like it's it's a really interesting sound that we came up with very unique and a very interesting vocalist too yeah the songs are super powerful he's an amazing songwriter yeah I don't know what to say. Song, the, the album is super dope. And don't get scared by the walls of guitar because that, that's only on certain songs. But definitely like, yeah, it, it has yeah a lot of tones and stuff that I, I hope that it fits into the canon of my stuff and that you can hear the Kenny Siegel aesthetic a little bit, but it has a lot of tones that you've never heard from me at the same time on it. And yeah, like I said, he's just a, he's another like one of those. I'm I'm so blessed that I get to work with the people that I get to work with. He's another like one, one in a million kind of uh, artist, super unique voice, super unique uh, songwriting. Uh, so yeah, and that's, that's also sometime in the future. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I think that's the, all the stuff I can talk about. Uh, those are all like at least projects that are like close to the finish line. 
And then, yeah, there's always new stuff bubbling as well. Yeah, I, I, I go crazy if I don't have things that I'm working on. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I like to keep a full full plate. That sounds like a really full plate. I'm so excited for all of these. Yeah, Pink Navel up next. And yeah, let me say this. like That one, I can't wait for people to hear it. I'm, yeah, very excited for that. Well, I just want to say thank you for your work. First and foremost, just you truly are one of the best in the game right now. And I feel like your contributions to the game are just irreplaceable so keep doing what you're doing the impact is being felt and thank you for coming on thank you uh this is some powerfully kind words uh yeah thank you very much uh hopefully i didn't ramble too much and shared something that's interesting to people still getting used to the fact that people want me to ramble on the uh the podcasts and the radio (laughs) and no you did very very insightful stuff very interesting yeah I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much. Uh, Have a good rest of the day. Hell yeah, you too. Peace. there we have it another episode of the rap music plug podcast presented by qlc tv i hope this episode gave you some new perspectives and insights into what the greatest art form known to man in hip-hop music has to offer if you want to support the show in the most meaningful way possible it would be my absolute honor to have you as a patron in the new rap music plug podcast patreon Through this Patreon, you will be getting exclusive content such as bonus episodes, exclusive album recommendations, exclusive playlists, early access to episodes, and more. And above all though, you will be able to support the show directly in a way that will not only justify the crazy amount of time I spend on this show already, but allow me to cover some of the expenses related to supporting all of these great artists that we cover on the show through the website and will allow us to sustain and build on this amazing growth that the RMPP has experienced recently. So if you have any questions about any of the Patreon stuff or just want to keep tabs on the show, interact with me on rap music and all the great stuff that we can talk about, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rapmusicplugpod or shoot me an email at qlctv.podcast at gmail.com. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on YouTube and Spotify as well. But that's enough self-promotion for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace. <laughs>